Well, welcome to another edition of Pod of the Gaps with me, Michael Otz, and my friends Andy Bannister and Aaron Edwards. Uh, this is the podcast that seeks to get people thinking about the big issues of life with a blend of theology and cultural comment and banter and stuff like that. Um, and uh, uh, you're welcome to, to join us. This is, I think, episode... What, 19. Episode 19. 19 episodes. Wow. Yeah, I had a friend who recently just commented that they've been listening to all of them on a journey. I thought it must be a very long journey by now because uh, they seem to have got longer as we go along. But uh, there you wow. go. Well, the, the traffic jams around Birmingham can be quite bad these days. So, so maybe this is a particularly bad you know, <laughs> a good, We should We should actually have that. That should be our kind of, you know, our... Uh, our selling point, shouldn't it? The unique selling point that we are your accompaniment to Spaghetti Junction. Uh, so if yeah, you find yourself yeah. going around there, we will we'll get you through it. Maybe maybe in the future they'll like measure traffic jams by episodes of Pot of the Gaps. Mm. Like, this is well, a yeah, you know, episode traffic jam. I like that. In fact, it reminds me of you know growing up. One of my one of my favourite reads was Adrian Plass. You remember the Sacred Diary of Adrian? Yeah, kind of Plass, more known to British Christians, but also internationally, kind of a sort of sort of funny take on Christian life. And in that, he talks about rating sermons by 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 fruit pastels. You know, that was a, that was a four <laughs> fruit pastel sermon, and I and I always thought that's the measure of you know how long someone <laughs> preaches for. So I like the idea of being this is a, this is a four and a half podcast journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess it depends which episode, of course. But uh, so we could they, rename it then, Michael. Pod of the gas for America. Pod of the, yes, yes, I like it. Pod of the gas. Come on, Aaron. Aaron, your turn. What the re- a rename? No, no, to think of a pun. Off the top of the, yeah. Oh, you can't put me on a pun spot. I should make a pun yeah. on being put on the spot, but I can't even do that. I've been <laughs> jarred. I've been jarred. My, uh, my systems are fried. There you go. Well, we'll leave the puns to, to Andy. Um, but as we say, part of the gaps, um, we're here to, to look at different topics. Some of the topics are things that everybody is talking about. But one of the things that we want to do on Pot of the Gaps is maybe take some topics that aren't necessarily being talked about, but should perhaps be talked about more. And I think today is definitely one of those subjects as we think about the pornification of culture um and actually this is i think a massive issue um and yet not one that perhaps is being talked about as as much as as it should be andy would would you say that's the case yeah i think it is is very much the 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 case michael i've been struck by this increasingly increasingly in in recent months you know having spent a bit more time this last year because of lockdown also because of the podcast and things on social media Mm -hmm. struck that you know there are justice issues everywhere you know black lives matter you know folk Mm -hmm. battling the transgender thing or the lgbt stuff those you know those we just had pride haven't we and to go oh yeah all those flags and issues and campaigns are everywhere so we seem to live in a society which people are more switched on to justice but very few people are talking about pornography um and sometimes when christians talk about all we do is talk about in kind of the moral frame but i'm interested in the injustice Mm. uh, frame we may come back to this but the you know the if you take the world's you know biggest porn website porn porn hub which gets 3.5 billion visits a month that's more than netflix more than amazon and so on was a massive expose of Pornhub last year in the New York Times, written by Nicholas Kristof, called The Children of Pornhub, when he looked at the number of videos on that site that were, you know, rape, abuse, you know, child pornography, stuff that, you know, that wasn't just unpleasant, that was outright illegal there on the world's biggest porn site. Mm-hmm. That caused a mass, that did at least cause a massive kind of sort of public outpouring of angst. And as a result, you know, Pornhub removed 10 million of its 13 million videos. I mean, just process that stat for a minute. 10 mm-hmm. million of their 13 million videos back there in the in the end wow. of last year, hmm. they decided were actually so bad they were actually probably illegal and they'd have got sued. Um, so that's an injustice issue. That's women whose lives have been wrecked because videos of them uh, in various or inappropriate ways have been uploaded onto that website. And so the so it just begins. Hmm. So I think 
the fact that people don't talk about that injustice. And then the other thing, uh, Michael, and I'm, you know, I know Aaron has stuff to say on this too. That one of the podcasts that we that we love, that we the three of us I know follow and admire, are, uh, are the folks over at Trigonometry. And that's a if you never listen to that, it's a brilliant website run by two two comedians uh, and uh, looking at you know some of these cultural issues from a more secular perspective. And what's interesting, they cover a lot of the big stuff that that, that, that we cover. And in particular, they had. I was struck by the fact a few months ago they had Abigail Schreier on. We've talked about Abigail's uh, book, Ir- um, Irreparable, Irreversible Damage, which is her book looking at the, the damage that's been done to t- young teenage women, especially around the uh, teenage girls, especially around the, the transgender movement. And she links that very strongly to pornography because young women, one of her theses is that young women are being exposed to this horrific view of what sex looks like in terms of you know meeting young boys whose view of sex has been shaped by Pornhub so these guys think that it's okay to, you know, hit, bite, slap, choke women. And so women are reacting against that. And one of the ways they're reacting against that is going into transgender. It's much safer to identify as a, as a man than face toxic masculinity. And Abigail's book on that is great. And they did a fantastic episode on that, on trigonometry. Yet the very next episode, they were they were advertising, you know, VPN, virtual private network services. And there was a sort of joke in the advert that this is the kind of service you could use so you could look at websites, you know, that you probably, you know, wouldn't want your mum or your granny realising you'd watch. And there was a sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink quality to it. Mm. And I was was saying before the show began, I'm very tempted to to write to those two and go, guys, you need some consistency here. You know, brilliant on flagging up the issues around transgender and young women, but you haven't talked about the elephant in the room of injustice, which is what the porn trade is doing, both to those within it but also particularly to young women who are being exposed to this increasingly pornified culture mm. Mm. that's interesting i, I mean funny now I've, I've never actually listened to trigonometry but I've, I've, I've had it fed to me for you almost but i thought you were you were you were there i thought i was you thought i was a believer but um yeah no i i, but I think from what I, I think i saw them do an interview once and i thought yeah they're saying lots of key things here on on similar stuff that we would notice really i guess but from as you say from a secular angle and that's where it's quite important that's what that's in a way that's sort of where we are one of the visions behind this podcast isn't it that we're seeing lots of non-christians we've mentioned a few of them on the show doug murray and and jordan peterson and all the others who are seeing stuff and calling it out um but not from a christian perspective um they might even be sympathetic to christianity but they're not bringing some uh, particular angle on it and the christians are far too limp-wristed to want to do anything about it like you know to actually speak out on these things for fear of getting in trouble so it's kind of filling in that gap so but yes i I do think that this is a real incongruity as you say uh, between the the kinds of issues that people advocate for there's so much to say on this i mean it's kind of crazy but i I guess i'd probably start with the impact of the sexual revolution um because it's been known for many years how ludicrous it is to tell women that you are liberated from the power of men. So we don't need to tell men to be gentlemen anymore because that would almost assume a kind of uh, chauvinism. Um, so you can let men be as terrible as they like in a way um, or leave them to them as long as they do it in a controlled way where, which doesn't really happen like that anyway because you see the kinds of crimes that are specifically male against women haven't seemed to have gone down, have they, since the sexual revolution? You could argue they've actually gone up. Um, and pornography is a huge, huge factor in actually transposing those sort of fantasies into the real, into the like real world, as it were. And I, th- and I think there's so many terrible things for women that have come out of the sexual revolution, which promised them to be free of male sexual dominance, 
Um, and so there's a ridiculous. It's, it's like it's, you wouldn't even you can't even laugh at it. It's almost it, it's one of those ironies that's just so tragic. It, it's mm. absolutely awful. Uh, and the rise of pornography has just been pervasive. Um, and it's it's been a really really bad thing for women. Um, and I think even over lockdown, remember there was that whole thing about prostitutes now, of course, called sex workers having their rights, you know, needing to be advocated and complaining and people advocating for them saying, look, these people are workers too. They have a service to provide. And I just think we've, it, it's another indication of how sick our culture is that we, we invent terms for things because we hmm. don't want to seem like we're being self-righteous. Oh, we used to call them prostitutes. How terrible. And they were outcasts. Oh, now, of course, there's a, a love for all the outcasts that we need to show as Christians. Jesus does um, go in and, and speak with prostitutes and, and is kind-hearted to them and doesn't bring the kind of sword of Damocles above them in the way the Pharisees might have done. But at the same time, he, he calls them to you know, leave their life of sin. And I think we don't like to call sin, sin anymore. And not only that, but we like to baptize it and actually say it's, it's a virtue. And so, that, so things like sex working and using those, those terms mm. feed into this, this kind of culture where we're, we're apparently advocating for women's rights and liberation from all these things like toxic masculinity um when at the same time we're actually propping up the very system that keeps a lot of that going and keeps men um objectifying women in really unbelievable and sometimes as you say Andy, cruel ways mm. and, and it's just there going on all the time pervasively in the background and sometimes it creeps into the foreground yeah. too i mean just very quickly because i don't want to get on this particular kind of rabbit trail but you mentioned the prostitution piece it was interesting during my time when i was in canada from 2010 to 2016 uh my wife got connected with actually several organizations working in terms of helping the victims of human trafficking and the connection between prostitution and human trafficking and now we know there's a connection between human trafficking and the, and the porn trade mm. what was interesting i remember coming across a piece of work written by a canadian journalist called victor malarak he wrote an amazing book called the, called the johns looking at the, the men who buy sex. And then there was mm. one called the Natasha's looking at the women who sell it. And in, he did an amazing piece of work picking up on a few surveys of, you know, as sex workers, as they were called in Canada, um, and exploring the question of how many of them actually want to be there. And the staggering statistic is that 93% of, of those engaged in prostitution or sex work, or whatever you call it in Canada, didn't want to be there. Wow. Um, they would have done anything to get out. <laughs> and, and, and Victor in his book just exposes that stat and says, can we not see there's a problem here? Or the fact that in Vancouver, you know, the vast majority of women in the sex trade were from indigenous First Nations communities, mm. where things like, you know, drug abuse, poverty, mm. you run incredibly high. And the idea those women have freely mm. chosen to come to the big city and mm. and sell sex um, to to largely not only but you know obviously largely to 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 to, to, to rich men can mm. we not see a problem here and one last thought actually then pass back to Mike is um is you know as you said that that you know we talked about the incongruity the other thing that struck me the other day I can't remember I I suddenly thought of this um, as we were prepping for this podcast Aaron is that uh, you know like like you guys I've written books and the last book I wrote for IVP. Um, on the, the, the Muslims and Christians book, another cheap plug, uh, which we also have to And during the editing process, my editor there a couple of times called me out on on, on using the male gaze. You know, they were like, you can just change the way you phrase that because you've written it, you know, kind of male type way. If you write it this way, um, it's more inclusive. And so in literature, we try and avoid the male gaze. And it's a, it's a good thing to do. Don't, don't, use a, don't use a metaphor or a turn of phrase 
that seems to be just referring to men when it could be anybody. And and it was great to learn how to do that better. It just occurred to me, of course, the one place we've never had that conversation is when it comes to, to pornography in our culture. So we're so conscious about increasing the number of women in, in leadership positions in Fortune 500 companies, you know, making sure there's representation, making sure on, on TV screens, you know, we remake classic movies like Ghostbusters, stick women in there so it's not the male gaze. But when it comes to pornography, um, no one goes there. Mm-hmm. It's almost like there's this sort of blank spot on the map that says, mm-hmm. here be dragons, mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. don't go there. And I think mm-hmm. as Christians, if we are going to stand up for those who are the victim of injustice, we have to go there. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about these issues. I think maybe for Christians, we're afraid of being labeled as prudish. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're afraid of the fact that many Christians have problems with pornography, and we're afraid of being accused of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. But if we don't speak up for the voiceless, who mm-hmm. is going to? Mm. Absolutely. Um, just before we move on, just one little point on the language piece. Um, a good friend of mine was working in Cape Town with um, uh, women on the streets, and she just picked me up because I use the term um, prostitutes, and she said actually use the ter- use the expression women in prostitution. Um, don't make it the ultimate defining thing about that person. Mm. And I think there's a danger that we we define this person as they're a prostitute and nothing more. No, number one, they're created in the image of God. They're a woman um, who often against their will has been caught up in, in this. Um, but equally, don't change the terminology. Like, let's just call it a sex worker to make yeah. it sound not so bad. Um, and we're saying, no, that's, actually... Yeah. That's a good point. My, my only foot, the footnote on that, though, Michael, mm. would obviously be that, you know, the Gospels refer to people as... Pro- well, the Bible refers to people as prostitutes. Mm. So are we would we say then the Bible writers are incorrect when they do so because they're identifying that person only with it? It's tricky. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. We can yeah. There's a topic for another. Yeah, there's another topic for another show, isn't there? Moving back though, because that's not the main focus. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I think you probably picked up listener by now if you haven't already that we see this as a problem, and we say you know one of the problems actually is that many people in our culture don't. So, for example, you know, trigonometry happy to point out lots of other issues mm. when it comes to pornography. Kind of, we're we're happy to make jokes about it, and actually. We were just saying before before the show. Um, normally, we have a lot of banter, and actually, we felt that this would just be inappropriate to do because you know, just as you wouldn't banter about paedophilia or something which everyone knows is mm. so utterly destructive, we don't want to banter about something that we feel is destructive. But I guess one of the questions is why do we think this is destructive? Mm. Um, and I know that you know there are women who use porno- pornography as well, but predominantly, statistics would suggest this is a, a male problem. So, mm. so why particularly is this a problem for men who use pornography? Um, but also, as we mentioned, why is it also an issue for for, for women as well? Um, Aaron, do you want to kick us off? So, why why for the user of pornography is this so destructive? Yeah, oh, I mean, there's so many things. Obviously, um, in in pornography, personally, porn- pornography has clearly been around for centuries there's there's obviously pornographic images in the ancient world and it's a significant issue to i guess imagize you might say or to uh, someone else objectify them for the purposes of your own sexual gratification that that is just a perennial human problem and it does seem to be more prominent no it is always more prominent amongst males um as much as I, I was saying to you guys earlier, I've often heard people do talks on pornography or, or sexuality and 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 make make the kind of striking claim that women use pornography as much as men. I'm sh- I, I just I think there are other forms of it. I think there's other kind of forms of the kind of um, fantasies and things like this which which women will obviously indulge in, and there'll be media to suit that. But I don't yeah. think. It, it, it just isn't. I mean, lot, there's, you, I think you mentioned, Michael, a book you were reading. What book was it? That, that statistic that did counter that 
oft-made claim that women use it as much as men. I just yeah, Wired for Intimacy by William Struthers. Um, yeah. how pornography hijacks the male brain. So basically he's saying, like, you know, it's not exclusively a male problem, but he says, actually, when you look at it, this is a, a, this is predominantly a male problem yeah. still. Yeah, and we have to see it in those terms. And I think the thing I was saying earlier about the sexual revolution was mm-hmm. we've, you know, in trying to move away from societal patriarchy, mm-hmm. liberating women in various ways, in various stages, mm-hmm. um, it gets into to a place where, again, the men... Um, in the modern world don't know how mm. to be men they aren't really allowed mm. to be men they're always being told that they need mm. to comply with a certain standards which are often very impossible to fulfill mm. um and i think pornography offers a release for mm. the loss of masculinity in western culture now some people say oh that's terrible you wouldn't that's not true toxic masculinity is rife and everyone and these men are always going around controlling everything actually i think a, there's a loss of good masculinity we, 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 we're going, we keep threatening to do a, an episode on muscular christianity which we must do <laughs> at some point because that, that was a one there's loads of stuff to say mm. on that about how um a, a, there's a good vibrant ma- masculinity which is different to femininity and there's an important god-given kind of characteristic to cultivate and i don't think men are allowed to do that societally anymore because it looks like you're trying to do so in, in count you know against women in some way and therefore that you pornography creates this sort of fantasy world just like video games do in the sense that you can go and have your sort of fix of something or, um, in the worst possible way and the wor- kind of more extreme behaviors come out which wouldn't ever happen in real life you'd say mm. now i think in, in the digital digital world the digitization of porn it, it really just ramps up several levels so you know as a we've all i'm sure we've all struggled with pornography in our in our lifetime we do a whole confession time i i struggled massively with pornography um, and it it's it does stuff to your brain in in the sense that you can't remove some of those images. It's very difficult to and the kind of persistent use um, really does have a long term effect. And we've had, had you know the, and when you get married, it has it has impact, and you have to kind of talk through these things. It's almost like you've you've been with all of these, you've imagized all of these other women uh, for many years. And it's, it's not the kind of thing which just oh, it's a short term thing that just kind of disappears. It, yeah, it does. It can have long term effects on the brain. Um, there's neural pathway stuff which we've talked about with with the digital world in general. Now for porn, that's even more um, of a problem because you your brain gets used to a certain hit of dopamine, and it knows where to go to get that. And it's the same it's the same effect as being addicted to heroin or something. This is where I go to get this precise feeling, mm. and eventually people don't really even want to go. You know, if they're married, for example, and they're still using pornography, they mm. won't want to go um, to the, the place that's created for so marital intimacy mm. with your spouse that's no longer as appealing as um these sort of more dramatic images um that they can um find with the pornification with the, with the availability that you have there so the access goes up in the digital world the way mm. it affects your brain goes up in the digital world and rewires your brain to create kind of neural pathways so that you have to go mm. there again and again mm. and the more you use it the more you want it and then the less um it satisfies so you have to go further and further which is why what andy was saying earlier the more horrendous dramatic stuff kind of tends to come in so i've heard you know i remember mentoring a guy many years ago struggling with this and he ended up saying he he eventually got into watching gay porn and he wasn't gay i was like what that didn't really make any sense to me but what he was saying was he kind of got into a place where he was so desensitized and bored but he had this desire for more 
And where where does he go when he's exa- exhausted all that the pornography? Well, mm. well, there's another taboo. There's this. So maybe that would be uh, arousing to him. Um, and mm. that's where you get into all, the, all these other areas because it keeps feeding you with the desire for more and more and it never actually mm. satisfies you. So it's mm. kind of the essence mm. of, that's the essence of sin in many ways, mm. but it, it does have significant effects on on marital intimacy, on on the, again the, the brain, let alone how you look at and treat other women. Mm. The fact that people are leading double lives has huge mental health mm. effects. Mm. Even just as human beings, it's just a bad idea. I've often said that to non Christians when I talk to them. You yeah. don't have a moral, let's say, a Christian reason. Maybe they should have a moral reason actually for uh, the stuff Andy mentioned mm. earlier about objectifying women, but. That there's no Christian religious reason for them not to, as we might as Christians have that. I would say just it's not yeah. good for you anyway. Like it's it's a bad thing for you. And you do you feel guilty when you do it? And they're like, yeah, I do feel guilty. Like, that's interesting, isn't it? Why do you feel guilty? Uh, why do you recognise there's something about this that's that's not right? So you know, we, there's all these sort of things that, that that play into it. But like I said, the the digitisation ramps it up because when we were younger, when we were teenagers, especially, it was harder to get hold of, and it was like yeah. a more it, you know, at school, someone might have a magazine or something, or they they had sight of one and, and a story about one or whatever. It was so clearly the desires are still there, but the fact that everyone's got it on their phones and they can get it and send it to one another so easy, the access goes up and the anonymity goes up mm-hmm. with that. So those two things, access and anonymity, create mm-hmm. a worse culture for the individual because they can just live double lives and they can get as much as they want for free, and they just get get them into that slipstream. Yeah. Quick One thing very quickly I'd add to that, and I know Michael yeah. looks like he's got other questions coming. I absolutely agree. Access and anonymity, but also the viral quality. Mm. Because if you look at the way that, that you know, you have things like revenge porn, where, yeah. you know, somebody who's been in a, you know, a, a woman's been in a relationship, the relationship is broken up, and the guy she's with has taken some intimate images and then goes and shares those to get back. Mm. You know, when we were teenagers, that was pretty much impossible. If you had a, you know, the, if, you, if, if you had a photograph of somebody, you know, I could, like you say, I can remember when I was at school, you know, word spread that somebody had a photograph and, mm. you know, maybe there might be a few guys behind the bike sheds and, mm. and, and this aura of like, wow. And, you know, and, you know, lots of, you know, Christian teams like myself also got caught up in that and mm. had to deal with that. Right. But it stayed there. That's, that's mm. where it went. Now it gets onto social media, it gets onto Pornhub, it gets mm. magnified and mm. some poor, you know, woman gets her life ruined because the jerk that she was with manages to get a kind of, you know, viral view behind the thing. And that Nicholas Kristoff piece that I mentioned, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. You know, he has an interview there with, uh, you know, several people that that happened to. And, you know, one woman talking about the fact I have repeatedly had to go to Pornhub and say, can you take these images down? Just images that were filmed of me without my consent mm-hmm. have now been viewed five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand times. And every time I get them taken down, they go up again. Um, so I think technology has a big has a big place part mm-hmm. to play mm-hmm. in this. So all these things connect, don't they? One of the mm-hmm. things we're finding, I think, on part of the gaps, these mm-hmm. things all intersect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it was fascinating. A while back, I noticed that the BBC had run a few articles, I think, on basically asking the question: Why are people having less sex? Mm-hmm. Um, survey showing that you know the irony, of course, of the sexual revolution that you know we're all promised that this is going to mean that we all have more and better sex, and the reality is that statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, show however those statistics were gained I don't know but um, you know the people are not mm-hmm. and and actually I'm sh- although the article didn't join the dots to to the cause I'm sure one of the things is that we're now living in a virtual world where you know it's a lot easier to click on your phone and find pornography to satisfy you mm-hmm. rather than actually you know going through the difficult thing of connecting with another human being who has emotions and feelings who mm-hmm. doesn't respond in the way that a computer does 
Um, and, and actually, one of the ironies we're starting to see that this is having implications for our culture and just fascinating in terms of kind of incidental conversations. Um, my wife chatting to, to colleagues who would say, you know, actually, they're just not attracted to their wife anymore because they've looked at so much porn yeah. that it's desensitized them. Yeah. Um, and they're now starting to see these. And, you know, like you say, Aaron, they're not Christians kind of grappling with this many kind of Christian moral points of view. It's just mm. actually and now living with the implications mm. of these choices that I've made. Mm. And I'm starting to see the kind of bitter fruits of them mm. in my own life. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll think maybe about how we can help people in this situation if you're thinking kind of this is really, really depressing. But, but we don't just want to see this, though, from a kind of like a guy using pornography point of view mm. as a problem. And I think this is one of the actually the issues that often when we're trying to help people who are addicted to pornography, which we're saying, you know, this is really, really bad for you. It is. Mm. But actually, we've already mentioned, this is really, really destructive for the women who are often caught up in this. Mm. Um, Andy, you were mentioning that already earlier. This is a justice issue, right? It's not just a, um, a, a problem, a kind of moral problem. This, is, this has got wider implications. Mm. Yeah, I think so. So I think in terms of, a, you know, a, a Christian response to this because obviously we don't just want to comment on the issues we want to think about the, in, a, in a christian well on this podcast i mean a couple of things uh, occur well right at the top actually one thing occurs so when, when aaron was talking a minute ago i was rem- just reminded of that of that verse in romans i, I read it this, this morning in my devotions you know the wages of sin is is death mm-hmm. but the the free gift of of god is eternal life in mm-hmm. christ jesus and that really, in the interesting contrast there between, you know, on in this, in the, when you're living in, in that, under that, you know, addiction to sin, mm. you're, you're earning, it's wages. Mm. <laughs> what you're earning, you think you're getting freedom, but actually what you're actually ultimately earning is is, is death. And then the other side of things that you have, on, you know, on the God equation, what you have is it's the free gift. It's not that you have to earn this and get your life right first. It's the free gift of God uh, is eternal life uh, in Christ Jesus. And so I think where that flows out for me in this is a couple of things. I think the church, I think, probably needs to do a better job in terms of talking about mm. this. I have a friend who's a, who's a, who's a Christian counsellor of many years' experience, mm. and he gave me a statistic that he thinks from his just prep person, not just the literature, but the, the experience of years of counselling, that something like 20 to 25% of, of pastors and church leaders are struggling with pornography, and it's a higher mm. figure, a slightly higher figure for, for Christians as a, as a whole. Um, but I think you know the church very rarely talks about this issue other than simply to condemn it. And how do we how do we still talk about the harm that it does, but also create the space for saying the people in the church, mainly men, but also women who are struggling uh, with it, there is help and support, not condemnation. How do we leave communities where people are actually encouraged mm. to stand up and go, this is the sin that I'm grappling with, yeah. and they find rather than, right, get out, you miserable sinner, they're like, okay, we will get yeah. the support, we will walk with you, we will help you. Mm. Put those drugs in. And there's been lots of work done, I think, showing when it comes to pornography that actually, you know, support groups which enable people to, to talk about it and process it and um, provide accountability to each other. There are, there are technological accountability tools that you can sign up for, but there's also the old-fashioned ways. I think the church needs a better job really on on how we help disciples as they limp their way along, you know, mm. along the way following mm. Christ. Mm. Sometimes we give the impression that if you're not perfect, then you're, you, you know, you're, there's no place for you. And I think for many young people, that's a massive issue. If, if you if you feel that I can't be a full member of the body of Christ because this is part of my life that I haven't got sorted. Mm. And then I think secondly, mm. I think there's a huge opportunity here for the church to blaze a trail in talk about this, this issue. It's interesting yeah. that one of the biggest social media campaigns in the last few years on pornography has been a, a campaign called Fight the New Drug. You have some amazing digital media stuff and, and do a wonderful work, I think, fighting this issue. But that's the Mormon church behind that. Mm. And that doesn't, that doesn't for Christians listening, that doesn't devalue 
what mm. they're doing. But I look at that stuff and go, man, why are more Christians not at the mm. forefront mm. of talking about this issue? We have been in the past. We were at the forefront of fighting mm. the slave trade. We were mm. at the forefront more recently of debt reduction. You know, remember Jubilee 2000? You know, that, mm. was a, that was a Christian campaign. Fair trade. You know, Christians were hugely involved in the campaign for, for fair trade products. You know, the Anglican Church was put a huge amount of pressure on things like Nescafe, mm. uh, you know, to sort of sort out their coffee production. So Christians mm. have been at the forefront. Mm. Over the years, many justice campaigns. Mm. I think this is the issue, and the connected things of human trafficking, mm. and uh, and the go, the go with it. There's little baskets mm. of issues that that go together. Um, but mm. to find a way of talking about it, it's not simply we think porn is wrong. Mm. Everybody outside the church knows that Christians think pornography is wrong. Um, what we mm. need to be doing is speaking up for the victims, yeah. explaining yeah. why it's wrong, why it's such an injustice, and leading the campaign to get to a world where it's no longer considered acceptable, you know, for a company like Pornhub to, to operate. Do you know, though, Andy, the funny thing is, I, I would first, that's, that's, those really interesting points. I think that's spot on that we need to create a better environment where we're more open, accountable, in, in the best way as as the church. And actually, obviously, one of the ways that, say, Satan, who obviously the word Satan, the term really means the accuser, will come and ha- almost doubly attack Christians when they struggle with that or anyone but especially Christians, because it, it could be, firstly, it's the temptation element. This is going to be amazing and be fulfilling, and you will always, you will certainly be, this is definitely a good decision, a good choice. And then as soon as they it, it's over, an immediate switch to the other side um, of condemnation, um, whereas actually the, um, you know, the, the Christian life should be one where you're actually rigorous and fulfilled in God to the extent where you're going to be able to resist that temptation. And, and that's hard. And you need to be able to do it within community. And that means being open and fellowship, mm. really being fellowship. And so often the church does not live up to the um, the wonderful image we have of it in the early church. And I don't mean the early church as the ideal church because they had as many problems as we have. The Corinthian church was horrendous with sexual immorality, for example. Um, but there was there's still something about the ideal there of how we're supposed to be in each other's lives praying for each other, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, living this life of, mm. of, uh, of God's body on earth and really glorifying God through how we are as communities. And I don't think we do a great job of that, especially when we talk about moral issues separate. separate. And that's what gets people of any marginalized group, let's say even gay people who would, who would be, you know, we talked about before, marginalized, feel marginalized because they're feeling the church says moral things but isn't isn't living it isn't living the kind of ideal of grace that they talk about now the thing is i'd say on the other side is that just just how we've baptized sin in loads of other ways relating to homosexuality and other things i mm. i wonder whether non-christians know that christians think pornography is wrong across the board <clears throat> i don't know because the amount of pressure in culture <clears throat> in, uh, to actually um, almost justify it to some people um it could lead to a sense in which people don't think it's wrong. And then Christians have been very good at listening to the world and all sorts of other things. So why wouldn't they listen to it on this as well? So that's another thing. We have to maintain our wits about us and and, mm. and be able to be salt and light and discerning over um, the challenges that are coming against us, the kind of assaults of the enemy on very you know clear biblical condemnations of sexual immorality. And I think pornography does come into that. And so we mustn't get into a place where we go, we're so worried about seeming self-righteous and pharisaic that we don't call things out. Um, but as you say, that the other issue is that people don't even talk about it. So you've got especially lots of young men who think they're the only ones who struggle with it 
so they don't mention it. They think everyone else is perfectly holy, but really, you, know, you remember church youth groups. Virtually everyone's struggling. Most of the guys are struggling with it and thinking they're the only ones and not talking. And then whenever there's a big discussion together, it's always really fruitful. What often is mm. because people have got that space to be honest. And I think just cultivating that honesty in the church is a huge, uh, huge thing that we need to get back to. Absolutely, and I think that sense of church being community, like genuinely real community, where we can where we can talk. I mean, I was very helped by having a pastor friend who just we had an accountability setup where he texted me every Monday morning, and knowing that text was coming every Monday to say how things going um, was was a great help um, and and a challenge. So mm. I think that's it. And I think one of the things I found personally, and I think is is good to emphasize, is you know. We've, we're seeing increasingly how it is self-destructive. So we're not just saying this is bad because we're being prudish. Um, but also, as we've said, this is an issue of justice in terms of do you really want to feed an industry that is you know, enslaving people, ruining people's lives? Do you want to be part of that? Um, and, and even if they're not, you know, even if the, if the women involved have signed up freely, do you want to be part of something which is basically degrading and treating someone as less than created in the image of God? And, and actually helping people to see it out of their own kind of selfish kind of mm. me in the computer. So actually mm. this is a bigger issue. This is involving real people. Mm. Um, how does, how does my actions affect the way I view others? Mm. Uh, could be a helpful one. Another thing, just listening to that um, book, actually, that I was um, mentioning earlier and why for intimacy. Um, one of the um, quotes in the book was fascinating. It was talking about how um, pornography has become the new ibuprofen. Mm. So actually why do a lot of men turn to pornography Often it's a kind of self-medicating way of dealing with frustration, with disappointment, with loneliness. And in a way, sometimes as, a, as the church, we're, we're tackling the symptom, which is this guy's addicted to porn. Hmm. And actually, sometimes we need to go to the to the cause, which is, OK, why is this person turning to pornography as a way of, of relief? You know, It's not going to do it, but, but why are they turning to that? And actually, the beautiful thing about the Christian community and the gospel is actually it's hopefully drawing us into community. It's giving us a sense of purpose. It's dealing with our guilt and so on. And so in a sense, we tackle this issue, not just head on, but we tackle this issue by looking at the underlying issues. Mm. Um, and I know speaking from personal experience that actually, you know, when, when we're actively involved in church and community, have a sense of purpose, um, that really helps. Not because I'm spending the whole time thinking shouldn't look at pornography, but in a sense, because, I haven't got some of those other yeah. issues which yeah. would lead me to, yeah. to be tempted in that way. It's often so I've... often the case, isn't it, that when right. people are struggling, it, other things are going on. Like they're not, you know, they're not as devotional in their Bible reading or prayer life. Mm. Those things, it's very difficult to, to maintain a healthy prayer mm. and scriptural life while struggling incessantly mm. with that. Whereas actually it tends mm. to be those things erode and they're correlated and you mm. don't think they are. You just think, oh no, that this is just a different a difficult i'm just in a bit of a dip but actually the dip is bigger and and wider than, than you realize which is again why accountability mm. is so so important there yeah sorry andy mm. i know i was just gonna gonna affirm really what what what, what michael said there that i think you're mm. that, that you're right that i think unless you you know particularly i think particularly the boredom piece yeah i think mm. is another big piece of it piece of it. well you know this i think and i think covid has made that worse with i think mm. a lot of people not 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 knowing what they're there for what life is for mm. And so just sort of root around for anything that will sort of take away, distract from, uh, you know, the rigmarole of the everyday. I mean, you know, the Romans had bread and circuses. Today we have porn and Netflix. Yeah. There's that going on. And then the final piece as well, I know we're almost out of time, so I don't want to open too many more rabbit trails. But I also think and this is a theme that's run through other um, part of the Gaps episodes. There's the whole Gnostic 
sort of thing that is everywhere in our culture. Mm. That to go, that's behind the transgender piece. It's all about your mind and your feelings. Don't worry. So forget about the body. The body, the body's bad. You know, cut it, hack it, manipulate it. And in the porn trade, the pornography, the same thing is going on. What mm. what matters is that you know that 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 feeling you have as you yeah. as you look at that image and, and do whatever you, you mm. do. You don't you, as we've talked about. You know, don't start getting involved in messy stuff where you have to you know you know share life with that other yeah. person and you know bring them to soup when they they got flu and deal with them with all of their kind of you know messy humanness. Rather, we can extract all of that and then have this very transactional view of intimacy, mm. which is you know there's the person on the screen. Mm. I pay my money. Uh, yeah. You know, I have this little burst of happiness yeah. and the job is done. Whereas, again, I think the gospel, one of the things I love about the gospel is it's so thoroughly anti-Gnostic. Mm-hmm. You know, God could have just sent us a series of ideas. You know, don't look at pornography. Think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, Jesus steps into the whole of the human mm-hmm. frame. And yes, mm-hmm. he brings ideas, but he also steps in physically mm-hmm. as well. And, of course, the other thing I think is helpful for Christians mm-hmm. uh, when dealing with the condemnation piece. You know, I love that verse in, in, in scriptures to about Jesus being tempted in every way. Mm. which means for guys, Jesus struggled with sexual mm. temptation, mm. but didn't succumb, mm. didn't you know pollute his thought mm. life. And we have a model. We have a great high priest mm. who does understand and, yeah. uh, and has been through this life with all mm. of the things that throws at us. And I think that's something to hang on to, mm. too, because I think sometimes, you know, for Christians, there can be that sort of sense of going, you know, I've fallen short. Christ can't possibly understand. I'm no good rather mm. to have a savior who goes, no, yeah. I do understand because yeah. I've wrestled all the same things that, that you have. Yeah. And uh, and I'm willing to meet you where you are, pick you up, and put you back together again. Um, and I think that's a that's an issue the world needs to hear a lot of because we live in an increasingly condemnatory world where people are very quick to say, right, you've messed up, mm. you, you know, you're on the scrap heap. But the church has to be saying, no, you messed up. So let's now face that with honesty mm. and uh, and bring Jesus into the picture, who can put the pieces back together again. That's mm. really that's so helpful, Andy. I think um, off, off the back of that, the the way in which the gospel functions, um, I think one of the lies that pornography offers is that it will, as I said, satisfy you, isn't it? So there's, and there's, I love the image um, Michael mentioned earlier of the ibuprofen as an or the analogy, really, mm-hmm. um, that an, an ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory and it's almost like the sense in which your inflamed lust can be mm-hmm. satiated here. And the lie is it will be, and we'll take that, we'll just dampen that flame um, and actually, it doesn't. It actually increases it, and it channels it in such a way that it can never be fulfilled. And you're addicted to the addiction, almost. It, keep, it keeps you, it keeps you that the or addicted to the arousal that that particular thing will um, stimulate. And actually, it's not going to satisfy you ever. Only it's almost like becoming indebted to something um, that that can't ever pay your debt. And you think about, you think of what the heart of the gospel is. You know the the. The end of man, as the Westminster Catechism will say, is, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm. So the joy, even the ecstasy and sexual fulfillment, um, is not divorced from theology, as weird as that might seem mm. to some people. Mm. You can say, oh, sex is not something that God doesn't really interest. Actually, he invented it. He invented um, mm. the joy and the ecstasy that you will get. You can have a cheap version of it here, mm. but he's designed something um, mm. unique for it in marriage. Um, and that's actually linked to the gospel, even. There's a, and there's a sense of the ecstasy people look for here, which is ultimately fulfilled elsewhere mm. and can only be fulfilled in their creator and their, and their redeemer who, who, who makes their restless, inflamed souls um, fat, restful in him, in the Augustinian mm. phrase. They, they can, you know, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. So there's something there about God, what the gospel, God does in the gospel at, liberating you from those terrible pathways which you're constantly being 
tempted to go down and actually will never fulfill you and always terrible and hard to get out of. God will actually come down there, wrench you out of them and place you where you need to be and place you amongst people who love you and in a community who can help you. Um, so yeah, that's the only thing I've done. I don't back on Michael. Absolutely. No, that is a great place to, to bring things to a close. And um, I think that's just very encouraging to, to, to think that, that actually we, we don't just have, you know, a moral framework, but we have a God who's willing to come and help us in that. And actually, one of the things is worth saying is that, as we said at the beginning, one of the reasons why Christians are afraid of talking about this is because we are afraid of being prudish. Um, but actually, one of the reasons why we want to talk about it is not because we think sex is bad, but because we want to say, actually, no, sex is really, really precious. We live in a culture that has treated it as um, value-less or um, cheap. And we want to say, actually, no, we want to reclaim that as something beautiful for what it is, created by God, and also what it points us towards um, in Christ. Um, but anyway, we are pretty much out of time for this episode. Um, so for now, I guess um, all that's to say is um, please do um, give us a like, a subscribe or whatever. If you found this helpful, if you've enjoyed Pot of the Gaps, why not recommend it to someone else? Um, if you uh, think that they might find it helpful too, not necessarily this episode, that might seem as a, a little bit of a um, moral challenge to someone. But indeed, if it is, then, then do send that one too. Um, and uh, do uh, listen up for more episodes of Pot of the Gaps coming soon. So from Aaron and Andy and myself, goodbye. Goodbye.